Welcome to the Josh Scanlon Podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. All right, this will be part two of our analysis that medical bills cause more than half of bankruptcies in America. We're going to dive into this here because it's uh, we're, we just are the political area. Oh, my goodness, the political season. Uh, in fact, was it says June of 2019, and they're already doing debates. It's going to be long. Uh, I, I, I wish the days of uh, Lincoln and uh, Douglas <laughs> sometimes because I... I uh, bores me. All right. Anyway, the truth about medical bankruptcies. This is from uh, Megan McArdle from the Washington Post. I've been reading Megan for a long, long time. She used to have a, um, she's changed her look here. She used to have straight hair with glasses, look kind of nerdy. So I guess she's grown up a little bit in the Washington Post realm. And that's good. I've been a big fan of Megan for quite some time. Uh, it's weird how Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post is their, uh, uh, I guess their uh, house conservative, even though Jennifer Rubin is anti-Trump uh, rapidly, more so than a lot of the uh, mainstream left is. It's weird, actually. Kind of like David Brooks from the New York Times is their house conservative, and neither of these people are anything near being right-wing, that's for sure. I wouldn't consider Megan right-wing. I think she's more middle-of-the-road, uh, more mainstream. But, you know, for what it's worth, she definitely writes more common sense than a lot of the opinion piece writers at the Washington Post, which just shows you how far left the Washington Post is. Just real quick, a, a story. When I was at college, uh, this is my first year in 1993, or 1992, I guess, I'll never forget this guy I was talking to, and he said the New York Times is uh, is, is right-wing journalism. And I was like, remember, I was 22, so I had gotten out of the Army. I was four years above these guys, and this was just an 18-year-old guy. I just remember this kid, and we're debating politics. And I was like, because it was in the middle of the president election. And I said, New York Times? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Can you imagine how far left you or just ignorant you have to be either one of those two things to consider the new york times the right wing i just i chuckle i said that nah, we got uh, either ignorant or far left either way we got a lot of work to do uh, so megan is considered your uh, she is i don't think she's considered the washington post house conservative it's weird jennifer rubin is and jennifer rubin is not all right so let's go with this march 26 2018 the dateline pop quiz what percentage of bankruptcies in the u.s are caused by medical bills if you lived through the debate over the passing of Obamacare, which at least they did pass, rightly or wrongly, they did. You know, I mean, that's uh, Scott Brown had taken out, uh, what's her name? Uh, when Kennedy died, Scott Brown had beaten Martha Coakley to win the senator seat from uh, Massachusetts in 2009, I think. And then uh, Elizabeth Warren, huh, was able to uh, take him out in 2010. And uh, well, I can't remember, but anyway, but, but Scott Brown... Who, what happened back? Maybe Specter. I think Specter is when he went to the Democrats from the Republicans. Anyway, they had 60 votes, man. I mean, they did it. They did it in the House because they owned the whole thing. They did it in the Senate. I mean, that's the way it's politics supposed to be. You might hate the legislation, but they pass it by the matter of law legislation, not some executive action or anything like that. And so kudos to them. Hey. I think Scott Brown actually, maybe he won after they passed it because Specter came in there. I think that's what it was. Specter uh, came in changed over to the Democrats, gave them the last vote. Uh, and then uh, Scott Brown won the open seat in 2009 as a, uh, a referendum, I think, on uh, on the passing of Obamacare. Even people in Massachusetts theoretically are 
ticked off. I don't actually think that's the case. I think any off-year election, the, the, the party in power just doesn't have the same energy as the out party. So I think Scott Brown was just able to ride the anti-democratic wave at that point. 2010 came around and uh, the Democrats retained control of the Senate and thus Obamacare was uh, sealed. And then uh, John Roberts uh, agreed with Obamacare and uh, the rest is history. Here we are. All right, so you probably, if you lived through the debate over the past of Obamacare, you probably answered something like half of all bankruptcies are caused by medical bills. That was a figure in common currency among advocates of healthcare reform, uh, Chris Dodd and Hillary Clinton. Oh, Chris Dodd, just, oh. I just don't want to go into it, but the Dodd-Kennedy sandwich, uh, just look back on the history of the uh, how these people abuse women. It just uh, infuriates. It should infuriate you, without question. They went after Bob Packwood in the early 90s, rightly so, but for some reason, Dodd and Kennedy got a, a, a complete pass. Crazy. Uh, other variants were popular. Obama, for example, is fond of saying the cost of health care now causes a bankruptcy in America every 30 seconds. It's a memorable number, but it's only certainly, it's almost certainly many times a true count. The figure was based on a series of paper released by a team including Elizabeth Warren, who is then a professor at Harvard Law School, and authors David Himmelstein and Stephanie Woodhandler of Physicians for a National Health Program. Would Physicians for the National Health Program ever release a fraudulent study that wanted to show how bad the current uh, health program was? No, no, they wouldn't do that. Theirs was hardly the only paper to attempt to estimate medical bankruptcies, but no one else got the eye-popping numbers like that or nearly so much attention from the media. Critics at the time, including me, pointed out that there are all sorts of problems with the data, but none of the critiques had the viral charms of the original study because the media printed what they wanted to lead. The media loves the left. The media hears the left, you know, basically from Harvard. The media get all the left. The media follows the appeals to authority. Harvard is the authority. The media just wants to take their studies hook, line, and sinker, regurgitate them so they can go out there and run their numbers about how we need more left-wing uh, stories, more left-wing policies uh, to better off society. And Harvard is willing to provide those uh, without. This is this is how it works, man. I mean, it's all the same thing. Big media, big education. <sighs> All right. But behind the scenes, the debate has continued. And the last week, the New England Journal of Medicine published a new estimate done by a team of health and labor economists. Their method is considerably more robust than the one adopted by Warren, who looked at the presence of medical bills and bankruptcy filings. The problem with doing that is that bankruptcy tends to be multi-casual. Exactly. If you, leave a, if you have a half a million dollar home, three luxury cars, a boat, and also have a heart attack, which of those things cause your bankruptcy? Exactly what I'm trying to say. To say that the medical bills cause your bankruptcy is to overlook all the other expenditures, your exorbitant expenditures that actually put you in the debt that caused the bankruptcy. So Carlos Dobkin, Amy Finkelstein, a couple others did what's called an event study. Instead of looking at bankruptcies to see how many involved medical bills, they started with the illness and asked how much, how much more likely people were to declare bankruptcy after they got sick. That's a much better way to tease out causation than asking whether someone who just went through a financially ruinous divorce owed his or her dermatologist thousands of dollars. The answer they came up with surprised even critics of Warren at all. The fraction of bankruptcies caused by medical events is just 4%. And even among those bankruptcies, it seems that medical bills may be less of a problem than other things associated with an illness. Uh, 
such as lost labor income. In other words, medical bankruptcy probably wasn't nearly as big a problem as people thought when we were passing our giant new health care program. You think? And to the extent that it was a problem, Obamacare probably didn't do much to fix it. That jibes with what we've seen since bankruptcy data since Obamacare passed. If medical bills really were driving so many people into bankruptcy, then we would have expected filings to plummet after 2013, when millions of people gained insurance through uh, Obamacare. Instead, we see a smooth decline from the recession-era peak. Total U.S. bankruptcies right here, 2010. If so many bankruptcies were caused by medical bills, why don't we see a sharp decline after 2013 uh, when Obamacare fully took uh, fully was implemented? And we don't. We just don't. We see that. And there's other studies that I won't talk about on other things that everyone has bought hook on a sinker. They'll make me a pariah amongst you, my friends. But I'll, I'll say those for a different day. That's sure the same thing. So here, bankruptcies in 2010. They fell, what is that, 50% from 2010 to 2013. Obamacare kicks in, they fall 20% from then. The 4% figure may be too low. Uh, the authors looked at hospitalizations, data they matched up with credit reports, and then they restricted the study to people who had not had a hospitalization in three years before the event that put them in the study, though they might have been hospitalized after that illness. This enabled them to focus on the effects of a discrete health problem rather than, say, catching someone who lost a job and then had a heart attack from a stress. So basically we're saying you went in the hospital and then you went bankruptcy, bankrupt. That's, you can make that correlation there for sure. There's a causation that led to a, a causation event. That's what they're, they're trying to ascertain. And since most of the people with high medical spending in a given year had a hospitalization, it's reasonable to think that they're capturing the majority of the illness-induced bankruptcies. But they're probably missing some people who aren't quite sick yet and don't require hospitalization. And their method will exclude the long-time chronically ill and people with special needs children, groups that might be particularly likely to end up in bankruptcy. But it's probably useful for, and you can even double or triple it, you still don't get anywhere near Elizabeth Warren and the Marxists from the uh, Physicians for National Healthcare Pro Program uh, facilitate, or advocate, I should say. Uh, but it's not appropriate to use it as a ceiling. I, I absolutely use it as four, four percent. Elizabeth Warren says 55%, Finkelstein says 4%, probably somewhere in between. And you can double it, quadruple it, still doesn't come anywhere, anywhere, anywhere near what Warren and et al. were saying. We're not, even if we quadruple it, we're still not anywhere near half of all bankruptcies. Then consider another finding, which is arguably even more important than the percentage of total bankruptcies. Even among the uninsured, hospitalization accounted for only 6% of total bankruptcies. Why is that important? Because if people with no insurance at all don't have significantly higher rates of bankruptcies, it suggests that while medical bills are driving some bankruptcies, they're unlikely to be causing the majority. The New England Journal of Medicine paper is part of a larger product, uh, project with the authors recently wrote up for the American Economic Review. That paper found that the size of the drop in income after an illness was about five times that of, uh, that of the resulting medical bills, suggesting that the financial strain is likely to be more driven by income loss than by healthcare loss, healthcare costs. So you're losing your job. You're, if you lose your job, that's what's going to cause bankruptcy. It has nothing to do with the loss of, of or the, the medical costs. It has to do with losing the job. But there's a second corollary to this, which we'll talk about. And indeed, if you talk to bankruptcy practitioners, uh, you'll hear the stories of plumbers who heart attacks forced them to cut back on work. Surgeons who developed a tremor in their 50s and saw their income plummet too far to make the mortgage. 
mothers of special need kids who had to quit their jobs in order to become full-time case managers. If a family's debt was pitched right up to the edge of their old income, insolvency quickly looms. If Dobkin et al. are right, the people who quoted Warren's inflated statistics focused around medical bills didn't just overstate the problem. They, they had us focus on a problem we didn't have instead of the one we did. And we're going to talk about the one we did. On a personal level, it means Americans need to plan around potential illnesses by rethinking their debt load. Exactly. We'd all be much less vulnerable if we kept our debt payments down to a level that would be manageable on a reduced income. That's it. Rethink your debt load. That's if That way, when the job loss comes, which is literally the reason people file bankruptcy. I mean, the number one reason is a job loss, without question. I mean, even the debate, this is just silly. The job loss comes, you have a certain amount of debt based on the job you had before. You lose a job, no longer, you can no longer carry the load. You can't share the load, Frodo. Share the load. Remember Samwise Ganji or whatever his name was from Lord of Rings? You can't share the load because you no longer have the income to support the debt load you have. Instead of buying a, uh, as much car or home as we can afford, uh, we should make sure we can survive on reduced income if we have a job loss. Some of the savings from lower payments could be used to buy short-term and long-term disability insurance, either through our employers or a private broker, and we could put the rest into an emergency fund that would carry us through, say, six or uh, three to six months of illness. I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot agree more. I 100% unequivocally could not agree more. The cause of bankruptcies is not medical, it's job loss, loss of income. Be, and then what causes that to go to bankruptcy is too much debt. On a policy level, if Americans wanted any sort of social insurance to protect the middle class from the financial effects of illness, they'd have done much better to insure incomes rather than health. Here, here, man. That probably would have been just as controversial as Obamacare, to be fair. But at least we wouldn't have had to spend hundreds of billions to fight medical bankruptcies only to see no improvement. Actually, I, I've never understood why we don't have a, a social network or social thing on, on life insurance. I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I, I, I just that's it's weird to me. We talk about you know social uh, networks or social on uh, health insurance and all this other stuff on, on Social Security and whatnot. But, you know, a sudden death to a primary breadwinner is going to destitute many, many families, uh, spouses, women in particular, who are raising kids. And yet no one seems to talk about that. It's weird. Again, I don't like the government get involved in all that stuff. Trust me, I don't. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a human being, man. When you see a freaking widow and she's freaking... <laughs> She's hurting because her husband died because of a crash on you know I four hundred going down or I eighty five going to Atlanta, and uh, he didn't have enough life insurance because he was only thirty five years old and felt he didn't need any, but he had a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. That's I don't, I've never understood why that would not be one of the social uh, networks that we'd have in place. It's just weird to me. If look, if anything, it needs to be the loss of income, just like Megan was talking about. I I actually agree with that. I got no qualm with that whatsoever. I've always thought, look, man. And this will violate my libertarian street cred, but I've always, Nancy Pelosi said something during the Obamacare debate that always made sense to me. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to work for health insurance, that you could just get it without just being here, that we could focus on what you wanted to do? I always thought that was the right argument. The right argument was to take the way the worry about health insurance from having to work and that way you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to stay home, raise the kids, you want to go be an artist, you want to go make money, we don't care, but take away that burden of health. I've always thought that was the right argument to make.
and the, the but the, the the end result of course is they want to do it through a uh, a public not a public option but a, a national health insurance like we have through like the uk has which is going bankrupt canada's going back i don't want that i want a voucher system say look we are going to give you the government is going to give you x amount of dollars for health insurance each and every year you go buy it on your own I, i've and that way it's not contingent on your employer it's not contingent for your wife having to go to work so she can get health insurance it's not contingent on any of this it's just contingent on the government is going to provide a voucher system just like they do social security a social safety net for health insurance i, I just I, I don't get why that's a true libertarian approach to it because we're not getting rid of we're not going ayn rand here where, where the government is completely neglecting all this is not it's almost like Medicare supplemental policies and Medicare uh, Medicare Advantage policies. That's that's truly a voucher system, a public-private partnership. We got insurance companies and you got private companies and a government funding the insurance companies through Medicare Advantage, through Medigap policies, Medicare supplement policies as well. I, I think it's and then even Medicare itself is a public-private partnership, uh, a voucher program. We're going to give you enough money. You can go do whatever you want. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can go see what doctor you want. You can do whatever you want, but we're only going to pay so much. And if you want more than that, it's on you. I, I just, I think that's, I just wish they would have done that. And, uh, and Nancy Pelosi's on it and that they dropped the ball because they had to, they had to force it down our throats with the big government stuff, as opposed to, is there a better way to do this? And the better way is absolutely a voucher program. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to do a couple more on this and uh, just hang in there because there's a couple more articles I want. And then I'm going to go over the uh, the New England Journal of Medicine or, uh, what, yeah, uh, New England Journal, uh, whatever, is it, uh, New England Journal of Medicine, whatever that article was, I'll read it to you because I think it's pretty interesting too. All right, we'll see you.